0: joseph and i'm nick and this is fish jelly yep sure is how are you uh
1: i'm good overwhelmed but good how about you
0: okay sipping on my uh diet sunkissed uh-huh you're a a favorite in this household yeah my two favorite well diet sunkissed which is now called like sunkissed zero and then uh a&W root beer, diet, mm-hmm. which also now says zero sugar. It doesn't say diet. Well, because diet implies uh, body shaming. Uh, of I, course, don't know. <laughs> I don't know of, if that's true. Of course, diet Dr. Pepper. It's really hard to find diet because, you know, they make Dr. Pepper like uh, cherry vanilla and, or just vanilla or cherry. It's really hard to find that. Yeah. Right? Because you usually buy our soda, and it's not... I mean,
1: I don't search, I find. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> well, we're recording this a day late because I was uh, on a boat for the past week, and I returned late <laughs> Sunday night. Mm-hmm. But before we get started, um, the biggest news from last week is you got to watch a new Sigourney Weaver movie.
1: Oh, yes. I. So had do you want to talk about that? All by myself, which was sad for me. Uh, which, you know, I, you're not supposed to be able to watch things the second time. Uh, th- this is through Sundance, which became virtual uh, two weeks ahead of its supposedly hybrid presentation this year. Uh, yes, yeah, so it, it, I very much well in advance knew that uh, Sigourney Weaver's Call Jane uh, would be premiering at Sundance in the premiere section, which probably, uh, it, it's also notable while you were gone, the Berlin Film Festival announced their lineup, which I will be attending physically. Uh, and Call Jane is actually uh, part of the Berlin competition as well.
0: What is this movie about?
1: It's called Call Jane. Uh, it's about uh, an underground group of women in late 60s, early 70s Chicago known as the Janes or the Jane Collective. Uh, and, and basically, it was just a uh, uh, covert operation of women uh Procuring abortions for women that needed them, because because they were legal. Uh, it's directed. It's tec- technically the th- theatrical uh, debut of Phyllis Neige, uh, who is an Oscar-nominated screenwriter for writing *Carol*, uh, the Todd Haynes movie starring Kate Blanchett. And uh, yeah, Sigourney Weaver stars as this kind of Gloria Steinem. Uh, she she's really a combination of characters. I've uh, read uh, as Virginia, this woman who started the Janes, but the Story is told through the eyes of Elizabeth Banks, uh, playing Joy, who's uh, a woman that has cardiomyopathy induced by her pregnancy. Uh, she's got a teenage daughter. She's married to Chris Messina. Uh, so the doctor's like, basically, you need to not be pregnant. Uh, you have a 50-50 chance of surviving this pregnancy. So let's oh. let's apply to the medical board. Uh, to see if they'll allow a therapeutic termination. Uh, and of course, the medical board is all these chain-smoking men, and they're like, oh, absolutely not. She could survive, and it's most important that the baby be saved, you know, not caring about the woman. Uh, and so she goes on this journey to procure an abortion for herself because, you know, she wants to live and uh, runs into the Janes and then kind of becomes, uh, at least in this story, uh, she, she starts learning how to perform determinations uh, the themselves, because what what this is outlining is these women are dependent upon this this doctor uh, who agrees to do the illegal abortions and he charges $600 a pop so which means most women only kind of suburban white women have option have the ability to pay for that uh, so they try to get into a bit of the intersexuality intersectionality of uh Wunmi Musaku uh, is really the only black cast member who's giving voice to, what are we going to do for these women of color that can't afford the, these prices? And uh, anyway, uh, Sigourney is uh, quite entertaining. I think perfectly cast. Uh, I thought she looked uh, amazing. And she has this interesting striptease scene. Uh, oh. Strangely in there, there's this this weird... This It's not weird. It's very entertaining because, you know... I'm very, very familiar with uh, Weaver on screen, and she has this ability to be kind of charming and girlish, and kind of she kind of does this coquettish type thing. Uh, it's very interesting that she can do that because, like, her contemporaries like Meryl Streep and Jessica Lange <clears throat> definitely cannot. Sure, but she has sort of a mischievous face. She does. She she yeah. she, she can tap into that very easily, but. Um, I don't know. I could see them trying to award, um, amount an awards campaign for her for supporting actress. I mean, obviously, I don't care about the Oscars, but her, like Glenn Close, I think you know Sigourney Weaver uh, is deserving of that kind of uh, acknowledgement. But you know, really, I'd like to see uh, the Good House. Oh sure, which you saw, that, mm-hmm. which ha, I, I think still needs a distributor, but I, I could see a Best Actress campaign for her in that. Oh, uh, notably also at the same film festival. So not so really even the director herself of uh, Call Jane was like, oh, I wasn't really familiar with this history of these women. Uh, Because the film goes from 1968 to 73 when Roe versus Wade uh, is passed. And then, of course, abortion is illegal. And the need for this underground network is no longer needed. Of course, what's interesting about Call Jane is we're looking at the past, but this is kind of, it's almost like the dystopic future we're looking at based on uh, the kind of ongoing attacks against Roe vs. Wade today. Uh, sure. But there is a, a documentary called The Janes, uh, which I plan on watching at the same
0: Sundance Film Festival. I think that comes out today. All done? And that, yeah. Okay. All right. RuPaul's Drag Race, season 14, episodes 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. We watch them uh, separately. Uh, yeah. Like, from each other. Which is hard because I like to... Hoot and holler at the screen. And... You do like to talk during things that you don't take seriously, that's for sure. No, that,
1: that doesn't mean I don't take it seriously. Boy,
0: you talk through every movie.
1: But there's a difference. There's, be- there's a difference between th- being derisive and being interactive.
0: That's true. <laughs> okay, I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so episode two, we get to meet the next seven queens who are Angeria, Paris, Van Michaels. Mm-hmm. Diabetti. And Julia Paris Michaels is from Atlanta. You very much can tell. Yes. And has like, like very, like pageant queen, has the cutest, uh, like southern drawl. drawl. Diabetti okay. is Crystal Methods, like like they're in the same family. I like how she's like, we don't call her drag mother because that ages her. That <laughs> is her. Girl. Okay. Deja Skye, who's from like Fresno. <laughs> um, Jasmine Kennedy, who's a New York queen. Georges. Mm-hmm. who's a young Latino mm-hmm. who is from Texas. Mm-hmm. Lady Camden, who is from Camden, UK, but now lives in Sacramento. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Maddie Morphosis, who's from the Midwest. Arkansas. And Oh, is he from Arkansas? That's considered the Midwest. I, no? That, that's the South. Is that, that correct?
1: I don't know. It's pretty Southern fried. I don't know. Uh, Those people there talk with an accent that is, is di- yeah. that is different than mine.
0: Um, Arkansas is considered the Midwest, I think. Okay.
1: Well, actually, you know what? I always thought it was strange growing up that they called Minnesota Midwest because it's, it's
0: so north. It's
1: very north, but yeah. whatever. Well,
0: I, I don't know. Is it? I
1: think it's just. Okay, mid- now
0: I'm looking. Well, according to uh, the Census Bureau, so I guess that's uh, valid, it is considered the South. West, South, Central, Division 7. Okay. Which is region three south. It'll always be anyway, south in my mind. <laughs> Maddie Morphosis is a heterosexual cis male. So, this is the first time we've seen a straight dude doing drag on US Drag Race. We had a guy on season one of UK Drag Race who said he had a girlfriend. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I don't recall if he said he was straight. I don't know. But yeah, Maddie Morphosis is a dude. He is certainly a dude. Yep. Uh, okay, so what did you think of these people? Okay, maybe we should talk
1: about Matty Morphosis first. Uh, okay, what do you think about Matty Because there's such a controversy over this this appropriation, which I don't agree with that argument. I don't think it helps that he, he's just dull. Uh, I think what is interesting is to watch uh, somebody perform drag. I, I think RuPaul criticizes one of his runways. is just, but there's nothing there. Uh, like there's no energy. There's no, uh, I think what you're seeing is maybe what we really like is the queerness of it. And not that he's not talented. I love his little, he did a little Marie Antoinette uh, runway that was really creative. And I thought. That was not
0: episode two though,
1: was it? That was episode two, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Really impressive. But at the same
0: time, like, oh, you're just really flat. I don't know certainly i think anyone should be allowed to do drag i agree yeah. because drag is a form of entertainment um, but i think it's rooted in queer culture has a subversive nature to it i think he see, you know what would be required of a non-queer person doing drag is an understanding of the history of drag and its place within the community and i think Matty Morphosis has that down. I think so too, yeah. He seems very aware of... Uh, you know, doing camp, yeah. He understands camp, but he also understands like gender and sexuality and how he felt very limited growing up in the South and then when he realized moving to a bigger city that he could express himself in this way. I think the story behind it's very powerful and sweet. Mm-hmm. And he seems like a very sweet guy. And he seems very comfortable with who he is. Yes. So it's, it's all great to watch. But... I agree that what you said, maybe what many of us love about us well, you know, I don't know what non queer people love about drag, like all these little thirteen year old girls who are like the core fandom of drag race. I'm assuming they just like the faggotry of it all, right? Like <laughs> which Is I that don't, what
1: we're missing, the fagotry?
0: Well, but no, but that's a different kind of faggotry because I think they just love the yes queen and the blah, sure, blah, blah, sure, sure, and, yeah. and the shiny and the glitter mm-hmm. and oh, she looks so pretty. and Or some of them are misfits and then a lot of these girls feel that way. But I think for maybe like queer people, what they love about drag is the queer, like like the essence of it.
1: Which, and I agree that
0: Maddie Morphosis is missing that.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's not like I, I demand flamboyancy, uh, or uh, but it's...
0: Uh, yeah, the a is just... He seems it, like a dude. Yeah. And, you know... Which is fine. Again, dudes like, are fine. Like, dudes are fine. Like, I, I like, like is my perception clouded because I know he's... Like, I'm told he's straight, mm. so that's... But I don't know. Like, the way he walks, the way he sits in the workroom, like, when he gets out of drag. He just seems like a dude. And, you know, in one respect, it's kind of like a novelty and it's cute. But then it's also like, oh, this is like straight up performance. Like this is performance art. Like you're completely detached from it. Yes. And then where I'm used to my drag queens, like really sort of like, like, like it's an extension of who they are. Well, it's also what
1: drag race has conditioned us to expect in how this show is produced and how these, a lot of these queens are they kind of have a symbiotic relationship with their drag personas then that's this persona is what saved them right and it, and there's a lot of interesting kind of identity politics going into that which i don't get that with him so much uh with matty morphosis
0: his artistry like on tiktok is impressive i think he's smart and funny yeah but his aesthetic is you know what you know
1: what also doesn't help that I think just very on a very personal level he reminds me of this 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 young woman I had as an RA in college my, oh, my one semester triggered. and and I did not
0: get along with her I just don't think his looks are that great I mean he did have the Marie Antoinette like he's the headed
1: I thought that was very And then funny. I
0: watched a video he did a YouTube or a TikTok video explaining how he did it and it's very cool but yeah. I think yeah I you know what he to me, he as a drag queen, is how I feel about myself as a hairstylist. I don't think that I'm a creative, I'm not an artist. I think I'm a technician. Like, okay. like so I he's know a drag technician, like, yeah, like, like I understand the theory of like, like, like the chemistry behind hair and the science behind all these chemical services. Like, like, that's my strongest background is science. So, I'm very well versed in that, but the actual artistry of it, like doing it, I don't enjoy. I don't think I have the kind of flair people would want me to have. Like, I think most people think I'm pretty dry when I do hair. Like, I'm not... I'm not giving what they want me to give. And I feel like... Matty Morphosis is a drag technician. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay, Lady Camden. I think Lady Camden's cute, but when... He said he was 31. Oh. See, I noticed they don't... No, ma'am. They don't... Uh, they po- stop putting ages, but... I. <laughs> Like, wow, okay, but well, I think he's a cute little guy, like his personality, yes, I will talented. say as a like as a cohort, all fourteen queens, I'm very impressed by the quality of the queens, mm-hmm. they seem to be getting along very well, yeah, so I do appreciate that, and I think he has a great personality, Georges, um Georges just reminds me of like another pretty super cute, super cute, pretty drag queen who can dance their ass off mm-hmm. but and I will say he's part of that like sort of select group of Rue girls who are super pretty, mm-hmm. and he seems to have like on the scale of like personality, like he's on the sweeter side. Yeah, like not like Valentina. Uh... Well, that well, Valentina is self-absorbed, and then but then you have someone like uh, Kamora Lee. Oh God! Well, what was her name? Kamora Lee Black. Black, From who Vegas. is just like a mean girl.
1: Not smart. And stupid. You got, You have to be smart to be mean. Let's, so, let's get this <laughs> straight.
0: So I appreciate that Georgia seems like, you know, is a little salty, but I think more sweet. And yeah. then is super talented. You know, Kimora was just pretty, but couldn't really do anything else but look pretty. This bitch can dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, whatever. Jasmine Kennedy. I think Jasmine Kennedy obviously is a very talented dancer. Very impressive,
1: impressive set of references uh, you know, they're, you know, they're bringing out that documentary, The Queen and Beyond the Valley of the Balls yep. with him. And that's interesting to me.
0: Deja Sky, who is like a cheerleading coach in real life. I was
1: underwhelmed by him. I was underwhelmed by his talent performance, but I think he's got a great personality. And he reminds me of, I mean, is it Peaches Christ, maybe? He reminds
0: me of some kind of an old school drag queen. Diabetti, uh, I think, seems funny and smart and creative. I, I uh, but like, it seems sort of like a, you know, if I didn't know that was Crystal Method's family, I probably would have picked up on it because they have a very similar aesthetic. I liked him out of drag more.
1: Yeah. His personality, like in the, con-
0: whatever you call those. Um, confessionals. Confessionals,
1: like he's much more vibrant seeming.
0: Uh, so episode one, my favorite was cornbread. Definitely, yeah. But for this new batch of girls or second batch, Angeria is <laughs> yeah. My favorite. yeah. He is so cute. Mm-hmm. And that... Didn't okay. know who
1: Sharon Stone was, but okay. No,
0: okay, I have to mention that because they're, they're, they're like in the workroom and...
1: Uh, in the third one. Of the Carrie...
0: Show. Oh, that's in episode three. Yeah, they've
1: combined everyone.
0: Yeah, uh, oh, that's right. And Carrie Colby's talking about... She she mentioned Stone. Someone says the word Stone and then Carrie Colby says Sharon. Mm-hmm. And then... And, and Jerry is confused. And then Carrie says Sharon Stone. You don't know who that is? She's like no, well, she's like a she, famous she, white. She woman. goes
1: some famous white lady. Some famous,
0: some famous white lady, and then Ajira goes, oh, is she your friend? Is she your friend? <laughs> I thought that was so cute. <laughs> is she your friend? Um, yeah, so much personality. Her mm-hmm. drag is like on point. Oh my god, yeah. Okay, so they had um, episode two. They also had the charisma, uh, charisma. The CNTs. <laughs> the CNTs. Charisma. All that's missing is you. Uh, I don't know how I feel about this. To watch people we don't know who aren't used to performing on television do a talent show. It's a little boring because they all basically do like a lip sync. Yes. The only one who didn't was Matty Morphosis. He played the bass guitar. Which was cool but very like, again, it it sounded like a dude playing the bass guitar. (laughs) Yeah. And then he was standing there in like a Mm pantsuit, yeah. And then he
1: played a part with his tongue, but then like but didn't show us, yeah. Uh,
0: But of all of them in episode two, Angeria lip-synced to an original song, which was super catchy, very catchy. So she ended up winning the lip, uh, the the episode. Oh, you know, another another highlight of the episode was Alicia Keys. So the guest judge for episode two was Alicia Keys, and you know I thought that was pretty cool. Because she's not known for sort of having like um queer visibility. Yeah. And, you know, when she first her first album, she was you know, the the joke about her was that she was a lesbian because she was right. very butch. Yeah. And even uh what's her name? Alexis Mateo did her in Snatch Game as a lesbian. That's right. Who was hitting on Amber Rose. So I thought it was pretty cool for her to show up on this show a dush. knowing yeah, knowing that there's this sort of like lesbianism attached to her, and just be and you know the other thing too is Alicia Keys is it's a beautiful. prolific artist. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean the Grammys, the millions of records sold. Her discography is so impressive. She's such a talented musician, singer, vocalist, producer, writer. So to have her on the show is is pretty major. It's pretty major.
1: You know, it's also you know because she's famous for not wearing makeup. Like she's like she's well, she has started a
0: skincare line.
1: Actually. Yeah, like she won't wear makeup. But I mean, she's. Just beautiful to look at. I love listening to her talk. But it was weird watching... The, you know, they'd pan to her and Rue. And Rue, Paul, and drag is stunning. But then the uh, disparity between, you know, somebody that's made up to be beautiful and somebody who just, like, is stunning is...
0: Who just is. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, that was really cool. Okay, so then episode three, the girls are joined. And then... oh. Episode two, diabetes was eliminated. Yeah, which is fair. So, oh god,
1: that her talent to Pink's get this get party the started. party started where it
0: was like magic, like she was like a magician, but she didn't do any magic.
1: But then I'm surprised Rudy didn't clock her because she's like, oh, I'm uh, lip singing to lips get this party started. It's like that's not an original song by Pink. Oh sure, surely.
0: No, Shirley Bassey covered it. Yeah. Oh, wait. Shirley Bassey's not original either. No. That makes sense to me actually. No, no, no. Um, but Okay, so episode 3, that yeah, Shirley Bassey covered that song after Pink did it. Uh, so right, episode right, 3, right. the girl, the 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 girls are joined and RuPaul says, "Oh, I'm bringing back the two eliminated queens." Which so doesn't separate. So now we have all 14 back and she says, "We're going to like the big twist is Everyone's going to get a chocolate bar a la Willy Wonka and oh, the Chocolate I, Factory. I already forgot about that. And everyone will keep this bar. And if they're ever in the bottom and they have to lip sync and they don't win the lip sync, before they get sent home, they can open their chocolate bar. And if it's gold, they can stay. So that's the big twist. Episode three, the challenge. It almost felt like we gotta find a way. Nobody's buying these RuPaul chocolate bars. We got <laughs> Those bars aren't even chocolate, they're plastic. I was watching. Uh... Wait, those aren't even. Re- so the- he does There are real chocolate bars. We went to the pop up store That's what I remember. several years ago. You can buy the chocolate bars, but the-, the bars that the girls have are made out of plastic. I would hope so. They put them in their titty meat. Because they put them in shit. their titty meat, yeah. Uh, all that heat would melt them. But episode three, they had like two different balls. There were a lot, balls meaning like each, like, like the queens had to come up with three different looks. There were like 42 outfits. That it's, was a lot. It's a lot. Did <laughs> it's you, a lot.
1: Did you notice how you really got nothing in the workroom from Alyssa Hunter? They included no footage of her. Yeah. Like notably absent.
0: Which means she'll probably make it past the next episode. Because they seem to try to give the queens but, like It also of, means she's boring. I, I think she's boring. <laughs> she is stunning, but I don't care for her. She's probably my least favorite. She's just dull. Yeah. Uh, Willow Pill wins the challenge. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, Angeria should have won.
1: Uh but I mean, Angeria, we- but Willow's took more um, uh, risks. Uh, yeah, I think so because because Angeria, uh, yeah, a lot of those were very pageanty too.
0: Yeah, but like one of the looks had to be a wedding gown, and I thought. Willow's, it wasn't a gown. And then Willow's second look was like a Versace, like 90s Mm -hmm. sort of. The other thing I want to say about Willow is out of drag, she looks, you know, I mean, she's, she has like a chronic illness and she Mm -hmm. looks sick. Yeah. Like, you know, like her health is not well. But in drag. Oh, beautiful. I don't know what she's doing because her face is super puffy out of drag. But in drag, she looks like, I know who she reminds me of. That lady who played, uh... Bridget Jones. Renee Zellweger? She looks like Rennell's, Renee Zellweger after she had all the surgery and lost all the weight. Mm-hmm. That's what she looks like. But in drag, she looks like a model. Mm-hmm. She's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really impressive. And her body's like... she Her body... You know, out of drag, she looks sickly. But in drag, she looks like, yeah, like, like a model. Like a fit lady. <laughs> yeah, She's very smart. She's mm-hmm. quick. Mm-hmm. So I do like her. Same. She wins. And then in the bottom... Are June Jambalaya and Maddie Morpheus? Oh, Maddie no. Morpheus got clocked for just like not having any oomph, like RuPaul said. It was also this episode where RuPaul seemed like she was on one, and she yeah. kept saying it was because of the caffeine enema. That was awkward. Or the coffee enema. It was kind of awkward. But Maddie Morpheus got put in the bottom for having no oomph. And then June Jambalaya, her drag is just raggedy. She's just raggedy. Yeah. She's just not ready. But I watched her the episode of What You Packin. Mm-hmm. And she'd only been doing drag for a couple of years, and she can't sew, and clearly. she wasn't super confident. And it's like, well, clearly, like... And then she says she works as a stylist, but, I mean, none of her looks were <laughs> very well put together. So she, uh, June Jumbalaya was sent home. Uh, but we can move on from that. So right now you're covering... Sundance. I am. Oh, my God. What do you want to say about that? It's just...
1: It's very hard to do these virtual um, uh, festivals at home because you really are tethered to uh, having to go on with the business of life <laughs> and cover a film festival of serious world premieres. And, it you know, to me, that, that takes more of a toll on me than traveling somewhere and being able to immerse myself in that world. Like, trying to... Like, I'm already behind on writing. Like... Um, so it's overwhelming, but yeah, there's a lot of good things. I'm averaging about four a day. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Is you... there
0: anything in the lineup
1: that you're really excited about? Um, yeah, which I'm hoping you'll watch with me tonight. It's called Alice, starring Kiki Palmer. Oh, about the slave, uh, or the, she, she she escapes. From, she escapes from a plantation, and it's like, oh, I'm in the '70s. Yes, I'm. I am excited about that. Um. And, uh, yeah, I, I feel like I can't even think there are a few, there, there, there are several other things. But after the Sigourney premiere, I was like, anything else, the world could end, you know.
0: <laughs> All right, so movies you watched for fun while I was gone, there are a lot of them. Well, you know, when you're not here, I'm able to get through a lot. Oh, like I'm a distraction? No. Don't put that on me. You're the distraction to me. Okay, okay. Try to make me seem like I prevent you from doing shit. You
1: don't. You just, you know, I just have to cook and clean. Uh, well, you could do a better job, so maybe we can... Of which part? Don't... Mm -mm. (laughs) Joseph's very particular about cleanliness of things. Oh. But, uh... That's not bad. Now, I'm not saying it's bad, but don't you say my cooking's if bad. If I were your don't nurse... You, don't you be out here in public saying that I can't cook, okay?
0: You do cook. <laughs> I'm not saying you can't cook. Alright, so movies you watch for fun. <laughs> Nick is mad.
1: <laughs> okay, fine. I won't. Watch me not cook. See, see how you fare.
0: You know what if you didn't cook? I would eat... Chipotle every day. I would eat Chipotle every day. Well, for then. lunch and dinner. And then for breakfast, I would eat McDonald's. I'd
1: have a sensible McDonald's. Yeah.
0: I would have a large coffee with three cream, three sugar, and a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit. And that, that would be my diet. Mm-hmm. Those, and
1: then you'd slowly turn into a salt lick
0: And then I would turn to a piece of beef jerky. <laughs> a, a, a reconstituted. I would look like a like if you took a piece of beef jerky and put it in a bowl of water for three months. So
1: flavor. flavor Fla- Oh, <laughs> flavor Flav.
0: No. No, you're thinking Trick Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Trick Daddy looks like a piece of reconstituted... Potato,
1: victory. potato. <laughs> My God.
0: Right, although I shouldn't say that. I think he has like a like liver failure. That's why he looks so crazy. <laughs> um, all right, so movies you watch for fun. Uh, something Wild? Yes, the 86 film, not the old Carol
1: Baker one. Uh, I've never seen a Jonathan Demme film uh, who, starring Jeff Daniels and Melanie Griffith, which has been long part of the Criterion Collection, and, you know, I'm a Jonathan Demme fan, relatively. Silence of the Lambs, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I was really underwhelmed with this. I just don't find Melanie Griffith. Uh, she's kind of this, supposedly this cutesy wild girl who semi-sorta abducts Jeff Daniels, and then they're embroiled with her ex, who's out of prison, played by Ray Liotta. Uh, I thought it was a bizarre film. That didn't quite work, but there you are. Next, Leptirica. Or She Butterfly, which is basically a vampire film from Yugoslavia in 1973. That was made for television. Um, I watched it as part of that uh, continuing uh, All the Saints BRs, All the Haunts BRs box set from Severin. But interesting. uh, Also a little dull. Next, The Voyeurs. I wish that we had had... This came out last year and we... We're busy that week and didn't cover it. And I know that somebody had asked if we would, but it starts Sydney Sweet and Justice Smith is this couple that moves into this building and then they start seeing, uh, they start becoming obsessed with the couple across the the courtyard, I guess, uh, much like Rear Window, uh, where they become invested in this couple that has having a lot of sex. It's like beautiful man and woman. Uh, they even finagle a way to get them, like, basically audio recording so they can watch them and hear what's going on and then it it becomes clear that the man is cheating on the woman Uh, and then Sydney Sweet befriends that woman uh, and tells her finds a way to tell her and this woman kills herself. But then there are like five other twists that happen in this movie. Three of them, which are at least are, were so nonsensical, I thought they were stupid. But then kind of as the film goes on and more twists are revealed, that kind of irons out some of it, but not really. I don't know. I was very frustrated and irritated with it because it does risk, take risks that are interesting. It's just not... It's a decent B movie, but I think it could have been an A-list film if it were better written. And also, Justice Smith is doing this, like, deep voice effect, which drove me crazy. All right. Prince of the City. Oh, God. I popped this in one night uh, while you were gone, thinking, oh, here's another Sidney Lumet film I can catch up on. And then I did not realize this motherfucker's, like, three hours long. (laughs) Basically about police corruption. It's about Tree Williams, who this was his big... This is after Hair, I believe, but kind of still his big star-making performance. He got nominated for like a Golden Stinker Award and a Golden Globe. Uh, And I think that those nominations reflect kind of the varying degrees of success of this performance. Uh, But interesting. uh, Sidney Lumet, of course, is one of the greatest directors of all time, in my mind. Uh, But about a cop that... Decides to turn himself over and then, of course, has to, you know, eventually narc on all his friends. Uh, but a, very much a procedural in that way, too. Something called Rosewood? Well, MLK Day came around and I was alone. And uh, Oh, wait.
0: I know that movie.
1: Yeah, John Singleton. Yes. So, uh, it was a John Singleton film I've never watched. And boy, did I just feel like that... W- it's hard to get through. Oh, for sure as it should be uh i in retrospect i find it interesting that john Boyd has top billing and we considered him to be appropriate
0: casting for the friendly white man this movie is based on the historic events of the 1923 rosewood massacre in florida when a white mob killed black people and destroyed their town yeah they they basically burned down the town and the john Boyd
1: basically doing an Oscar Schindler and has, uh, hides, uh, the surviving black people and gets them on a train, uh, out of town, even though he's, uh, money hungry, land hungry, uh, part of the problem. But, uh, yes, Ving Rhames, uh, is playing again a conglomeration of people that maybe kind of existed, uh. And, and this is all generated because uh, a white woman, the, this stupid white bitch, uh, is cheating on her husband with Robert Patrick, playing somebody named the Lover, and she he he beats her down one day after some funching, and then she has a bruise on her face and she can't explain it to her husband, so she just decides so to say she was a black, was, a, black a black man raped her, not and you know Singleton takes pains to show that it's. She she chose you know the most vulnerable person, uh, but she didn't quite realize that they would these people were like rabid dogs and would hunt everyone down oh <laughs> and just kill everyone. But interestingly, Esther Wall plays her maid can see that it was a white man that did this. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Oh, Don Cheadle's in it. Great cast. It was it was it was hard to sit through though.
0: Next, they call
1: me Mr. Tibbs. Do you know that line? No. That is uh, one of the immortal lines of Sydney Poitier in In the Heat of the Night. And so they made two sequels to that movie starring Sydney. The first of which is They Call Me Mr. Tibbs with an exclamation point, uh, directed by Gordon Douglas, which I also thought was real dull, especially as compared to In the Heat of the Night. And there's a third film called The Organization, uh, starring. Uh, Mr. Poitier as Tibbs it's interesting if you uh, like him or haven't seen those films definitely pales in comparison though something called Apocalypto something called Apocalypto you don't know that movie I don't think so
0: Mel Gibson oh I think I am aware I had There's never It's like a helicopter in it right
1: <laughs> well this is about the fall of the Mayan Empire so no helicopters.
0: oh then, I, then it's not what I'm thinking
1: okay um yeah, I had never seen it, uh, I think the first film at that time that he directed since Braveheart. So there's 11-year difference. And uh, it's pretty brutal, like surprisingly brutal. Uh, basically this peaceful uh, village of Mayans are suddenly uh, plundered and raped and pillaged and they are taken for sacrifices to the bigger city. <laughs> it's, oh my God. Uh <clears throat> I, I I recommend it. Also, I feel like it's interesting that what's his name decided to this. This was a passion project for him, but I will say Rudy Youngblood, who plays the lead Jaguar Paw, very like a very like beautiful looking person, hmm. uh, and very watchable. We need to speed this up. I think I love my wife. Uh, Chris Rock's directed film, which is the remake of Eric, Romare, Eric Romare's Love in the Afternoon. Uh, love, Eric Romare. I'd never seen this Chris Rock film. And I have to say that I was highly entertained by this. Uh, also co-written by Louis C.K. Uh, this, this is 2007, people. Carrie uh, Washington is the femme fatale that is kind of luring Chris Rock away from his wife, played by Gina Torres. Okay, incredibly true adventure of two girls in love. That was the Sundance. They were testing out their... Um, uh, app, and that was the film they let everybody test out on. And I haven't watched that since a new queer cinema class I took in 2005. And I will say i felt much warmer about this now. Uh, and it is an odd little entertaining film ahead of its time from 1995, uh, which is where I was first introduced to Nicole Ari Parker, who's very young and pretty. A Rage in Harlem. <laughs> uh, that's ba- So it's based on a Chester Himes novel. In uh, the Previous, the most previous, infant, more famous film of a Chester Himes novel was uh, Cotton Goes to Harlem, directed by Ossie Davis, starring Godfrey Cambridge. You know Godfrey Cambridge is the lead from Watermelon Man okay. uh, by Melvin Van Peebles. Uh, but this is a 1991 film directed by you know the great Bill Duke, uh, starring Forrest Whitaker uh, and uh, Gregory Hines and a fucking fabulous looking Robin Gibbons as the femme fatale. It's, it's like a, a, a black film noir uh, I was very impressed. I'm surprised this film is not more well-known. In fact, I think I like this a little more than uh, Deep Cover, even, which Criterion just put uh, in their collection from Bill Duke. Uh, but yeah, it really well done. I have a couple Chester Himes books uh, that I haven't read. but Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. And right before our Sundance started, I watched the sequel to the Poseidon Adventure directed by Erwin Ir- Allen, which was a huge box office flop. In uh, a terrible movie, but a lot of fun because it's. This was shot, what, eight or nine years after the Poseidon Adventure, but is set on the next day. <laughs> Oh, And Michael Caine plays this man who's part of the salvage crew. Who They're like, if you can haul this belly-up boat back to the mainland, you can... Have what's in have it. You have what's in it. And him and his crew are like, oh, there was all these rich Europeans on this boat, so there's going to be all kinds of stuff on there. Uh, meanwhile, Telly Savalas plays this... He shows up as a doctor to save the rescue, and they're like, well, the rescue people have already been taken away, but they're, they're, he's there in case there's more people. And he uh, is really there to... Uh, embark on a robbery that had been planned two years before to be on this boat. <clears throat> Sally Field is also in it. Uh, it in a really terrible performance, I thought. Michael Michael Caine keeps calling her monkey, which reminded me of uh, Cary Grant and Joan Fontaine in Suspicion, where he keeps saying, "Hey, there, monkey face." And uh, d- d- very fantastic. Uh, again, a, a ton of notable character actors. You got Shirley Knight and Jack Ward, and uh, I got him blinking on so many. Uh, oh, Peter Boyle, Veronica Cartwright's sister, I think, whose name is Angela Cartwright. This is her last theatrical release. Interesting. A young Mark Harmon. But you
0: need to watch it with people because it is k terrible. Lastly, I watched Back to the Future for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I really, really liked it. Yeah, it's cute. <laughs> I really liked it. 1985, so I would have been, oh God, like seven and then I think by the time I remember seeing the VHS like in the video store, but I don't know what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Back to the Future Two was out, and, it and just, there's a third one too. Yeah. I don't know, but do you you know the story that that shot? And then uh, they would starring Eric Stoles. And... So I was going to say I think this movie is almost perfect for me. Like this is a movie I could watch multiple times. The thing that makes it not perfect is Michael J. Fox really i I liked him, I mean I loved him in uh family ties and the frighteners, and I liked him I'm in just uh, what what is it not spin city uh is yeah. it spin city yeah yeah, so i I like Michael J Fox, but I don't think he's like perfect for the role because his character's kind of supposed to be like he you know maybe it's also the writing of the character because it's like he's supposed to be kind of cool, but then he gets picked on as well and I just think that character's a little odd. So maybe it's not so much him. I think it's it's perfectly cast, maybe. I just don't like that character. Okay. I kind of wish he just would have been like a cool guy. Like maybe they picked someone who wasn't like borderline loser. It 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 just feels weird. But I thought Christopher Lloyd was so cute. Oh he is cute. <laughs> and Leah Thompson playing the mom who's in love with her son. Yeah, and Crispin Glover. <laughs> and Crispin Glover's so good. I, I really enjoyed this movie so, so much. know, I haven't watched... I could re-watch it. It's been a very long time. But we need to keep this uh, train moving. Okay. So, Projects of Interest. Uh, Boon Jun ho Robert Pattinson. It's
1: Bong Jun ho
0: Bong Joon-Ho, the son-
1: director. Yes he's doing a movie with Robert Pattinson. Yes, this will be his first film since Parasite. Okay. You actually... Oh, a, The Man Who Did Parasite. Okay. Yeah, you've also seen his film The Host. Uh, sure. And uh, you saw Snowpiercer. That's right, where they eat cockroach... Where uh, they eat the bugs. Cockroach protein bars. Which has that excellent uh, Tilda Swinton performance. And then something called Les Empire. Yeah, I just learned about this. So Bruno Dumont, who uh, was the director of my favorite film of 2021... Uh, France, France, uh, he's uh, busy at work shooting a new film called L'Empire, the Empire, uh, starring Virginie Afira, Adele Haenel, Fabrice Lucchini, and Lily Rose Depp, uh, and I've read that it is about the arrival of knights from outer space. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so that uh, is, int- I'm excited about any, everybody in that except for um, Ms. Depp,
0: which is, who is neither here nor there for me. Uh, I'm trying to rush because the obituary section is full. <sighs> yeah. And is, I mean, this is wild. Okay, so first on the list is Gaspar Ulliel. Who died skiing. He was 37 years old.
1: Same age as myself. I don't
0: know who this person is, but apparently he's in the house on a poster. No, that's Louis Garrel. Oh, then I really don't know who this is.
1: He's been in two Isabel movies. He played her son in uh, The Sea Wall, which I think is the first time I remember seeing him in 2008, a Rithy Pan film. Uh, and then he played her lover in Benoît Jacquot's *Eva*. Uh, he played Yves Saint Laurent. Uh, he was in that Xavier Dolan film. I couldn't stand. Uh, it's only the end of the world. He, he, uh, he. You've seen his face on some kind of perfume ads. I'm forgetting. Uh, Cologne. Cologne. Sorry. Fragrance. Fragrances. Fragrance. Fragrance. <laughs> Can you tell I don't wear any? No, uh, you don't. <laughs> he's a, yeah, a very handsome, talented person. And I think it's just shocking. Uh, but skiing, my God. I
0: I've been... You know, you know what my black ass will never do is get my ass on some sticks and throw me down a snowy hill. So the, Not even a hill; it's a damn mountain. The <laughs> last time I went skiing was in 1996
1: on a school trip. So I was in sixth grade. I can't believe. I can't believe. I don't. Does school still do this? I, they took us on a class trip and then they just planted us all on the bunny hill. Like, like the more enterprising of us weren't ever gonna like leave the bunny hill. So after I mastered that, I was like, let me try this blue black diamond shit, and I bit it so hard that I lost one of the skis and felt like, I, and you know, like I, I, I hit the ground hard and rolled. But I feel
0: this way about like water skiing. But I felt
1: <laughs> that I knew as a child since then, I'm like,
0: this is not the Snowboarding, uh, people who ride those bikes on the mountains, like, <laughs> Any, to me, skiing is an extreme it, sport.
1: It, well, yeah. We just watched that movie, See For Me, where that blind girl wants to go And then the blind to- <laughs> lady wants to go skiing?
0: Like, no! Oh,
1: no. Girl, you're going to die. I don't know. I barely want to drive in the snow.
0: <laughs>
1: but not to make light of, like, it's very tragic. No, and, no. Uh, that was, when I saw those nude, that was shocking to me. I'm very familiar with his work.
0: Um, okay, next. Andre Leon Talley passed. Yes. Who I'm quite familiar with. Um, And recently there was a documentary about him. Yeah, we watched that. And I'm interested in reading his most recent memoirs. I, you know, I remember from the documentary, you know, he, I think he was still kind of hopeful that he would find love. I was going to say, I think the thing that's most sad to me, well, first of all, he has an extraordinary life. Yeah. I grew up in the South, raised by his grandmother. Um, He earned his BA in French literature and a master's degree in French literature. Um, Did a lot of writing for many, several many outlets. Uh, I think we all know him as being the editor-at-large for Vogue magazine for several many years. Um, He broke from Vogue in like 2013, I think. And then he talks about sort of his relationship with Anna Wintour declining at that point. But what a fabulous, Mm -hmm. fabulous man. And just... Like, he, you know, in the documentary, that's why I want to read his memoirs, because he just has, like, so many cool stories and the people he got to be around and, um, you know, but I think thinking about him, I feel sad knowing that he seemed like a very lonely man. and He talked about how he, he was on Wendy Williams once saying that he had never been in love. Mm-hmm. And, and I would imagine for someone like him, it probably is difficult, you know. A lot of people out here uh, occupy a space where, like, how do I say this? A lot of people occupy a space that I think it's like, so using him is like, he's part of this very fabulous lifestyle, very beautiful people, right? Mm-hmm. But then he's not mm-hmm. that. He's fabulous, but he's not, you know, I mean, anyone who wants to be with him romantically or sexually, I'm assuming thinks that they're going to benefit from it. Sure yeah like it's hard in to find that a world genuine in that yeah. world, and I think a lot of gay men do that a lot of homely gay men get really involved in like nightlife and all these go go boys and you know they do all the things that they can do to get be around very attractive men It's like but they don't want you mm-hmm. unless you're doing something for them, and then years pass, and now you the next thing you know you're sixty years old and you've never had a real relationship because you occupy a space where these people you know you're not. You're going to be hard-pressed to, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I I I always think about him when he told Wendy Williams that he had never been in love, that it just makes me sad, but he seemed like a really sweet guy. Moving on to another fashion person, Terry Mugler passed. Yeah, which we learned yesterday, yeah. Who we know from the fashion house Mugler, and mm-hmm. he um, is a prolific fashion designer. Very. I became familiar with him because there is a George Michael video called Too Funky that came out in the 90s, and it's a really, really cool, cool video, and the costuming is so amazing. In particular, one of the models, because it's all, like, 90s supermodels in the video, is wearing, like, a corset that has, like, handlebars like a motorcycle, Mm -hmm. and I remember reading about it and, like... Probably like Billboard magazine or Rolling Stone and seeing that it was Terry Mugler. And then moving to Las Vegas, um, I remember being in an elevator with a man who I thought was uh, who smelled like just the combination of how he looked and how he smelled prompted me to ask him, mm-hmm. like, what are, like what is that smell? Which I don't think I had ever done before. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's Angel by Terry Mugler. Mm-hmm. And I went to the Nordstrom and bought a bottle (laughs) made a beeline for Nordstrom I sure in the hell did but um yeah he has a remarkable career and I know like he left his fashion house um like I think in the early 2010s but um you know we know his appearance changed drastically within the last like 15 years and I was reading that it was due to an accident Mm -hmm. like he was in an car accident or something and broke his nose and then did all this other shit to his face so he kind of looks he was very altered in the later part of his life but um he was known for like really championing championing um diversity within fashion so hiring models of color mm-hmm. hiring um uh older models drag queens trans women um so, yeah, I mean, what an amazing career. And I think Angel, the fragrance, is like one of the top-selling fragrances of the 20th century. Oh. Like... I had no idea. Yeah. It's very recognizable. Next is Louis Anderson. Yeah. Aww. my only My only memory of Louis is... Louis Anderson is he had a residency in Vegas. That's right. When I used to work <clears throat> in the casino. And I know that he had some... Troubles with a man trying to blackmail him, saying that he was trying to pay him for sex. Mm. And of course, Louis Anderson didn't want people to know he was gay. And then that man, like Louis Anderson, like sued him for extortion. And that man like took police on like a high speed chase and (laughs) all this crazy shit. But I remember that because I remember like living in Vegas and everyone knew like that, you know, he would have boys at the, like at his. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's, it's kind of sad to think, like, some people just can't live their truth. Mm-hmm. I and think towards the end, he was.
1: Sure. Everything. Meatloaf died. Yeah, Louis felt o- overshadowed by Meatloaf on the same day.
0: And the only thing I know Meatloaf is about Meatloaf is, I-, I could do anything for love, but I won't do that. Mm-hmm. And isn't he in a movie? He's in several movies. Oh. Um, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, that's right. Um, and also, uh,
1: I always think of him in Fight Club.
0: And then I was reading how he died, and then, of course, it's like he's an anti-vaxxer, and then he died from complications of COVID. So. Yeah. I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> sorry. And then, lastly, Ian Alexander Jr., who is the sole child of Regina, Regina King. King. He was only 26. Man. Yeah. I can't even imagine being a parent, and, like, your child, especially, like, your adult child dies at such a young age and that's your only child well and then suicide and everybody's posting about it and and then i I went on his because he was a dj and music artist and i went and i believe his artist name is like desdune or something but i looked up his uh, social media and some of his posts are a little dark like they fluctuate sure um so who knows but you know yeah depression's real i don't know if that's what he was suffering from but you know suicide suicidal thoughts are real and if you're having them and you don't really want to die then reach you know reach out for help i guess yeah if you do want to die then you know it is what it is (laughs) okay (laughs) the last thing uh the the topic for this uh episode Mm -hmm. is uh I was gone all of last week because I was on an Atlantis cruise, Mm -hmm. which is the gay cruise. Yes. And I was going to talk about it because, like, on the second day of the cruise, there was a New York Times article about it saying, like, can a gay cruise um, be safe? Um, The actual headline of the Mm -hmm. article is, can a gay cruise keep 4,700 people safe amid COVID? And then the article is pretty... I mean, it's garbage. It's really... I mean, this woman who wrote the article um, plucked, um, so there's like a group chat and then like this person went into the Facebook group and then like sort of got people to give her quotes and they're all very salacious quotes about how like, you know, it's basically like they're going to go to have an orgy and I, so then there was a lot of like fervor about that on the boat and people trying to defend the cruise. Like it reminded me of that Maria Bamford uh, joke where she's like, Seattle or Portland is like a bunch of people with the same... Arguing about the same... Screaming at each other about the same
1: points. Yeah, like, <laughs> like
0: yeah. People arguing, but they will have the same opinion. Uh, and I just think it's unfortunate because there are other cruises operating as we speak. Mm-hmm. Like, like why, why choose a gay cruise when there are... All cruise lines are operating right now so and this was a charter cruise, so they made additional rules like everyone had to be vaccinated because there will be close proximity happening on the <laughs> because on normal so this was on Oasis of the Seas, mm-hmm. which people were calling Omicron of the Seas and calling it a super spreader event, um is operated by Royal Caribbean Royal Caribbean does not require people to be vaccinated, so um The charter cruise by Atlantis, this gay cruise, was more stringent. Like, everyone had to be vaccinated. Everyone had to be tested within 48 hours of getting on the boat. And when we, the last night on the boat, the captain came on and, like, thanked everyone for keeping everyone safe and that there were only five reported cases of COVID on the boat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't, all I have to say is I think, like... If people, I mean, at this point, it's just like, if I could have canceled, I would have, but I couldn't. And the travel insurance was no longer valid because the date had changed. This Mm. cruise was supposed to happen a year ago. That's right. So because the date changed, the travel insurance was not valid, and then you couldn't get insurance. So I couldn't cancel. Unless I had a valid reason, like the country I'm coming from is restricting me or whatever. Or if I show up and I test positive for COVID, then I could not. And then they wouldn't let me enter the boat. But then the day before the cruise, they dropped that mandate. Because the October cruise I went on, you had to test before you entered the boat. Mm -hmm. And if I would have tested positive, they would give me a credit. But this cruise, they stopped doing that. So there was no chance I would get a credit or that I could cancel. So I made the decision to go. I am vaccinated. I have my booster. I tested negative. Also, all of the pictures that are on, like, Twitter and social media, other platforms showing, like, this, like, thousands of gay men all huddled up in, like, a space. Um, I wasn't a part of that. Sure. Like, and this was my sixth cruise, right? Mm-hmm. And I've never been in Well, that. you're not really a... Partier. But I'm not a partier, so, you know, I wore my mask inside, as did most people during the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I felt comfortable. As far as I know, I don't have COVID. <laughs> I, I feel fine. Some highlights from the cruise were, since we reviewed Queen of the Universe, Lavois and Ada Vox performed on the boat. Fighting fish. Oh, shit. We only have, like, a few minutes, and there's a story I wanted to tell that I didn't tell you. Well, you'll just have
1: to pause and restart
0: it. You know what? Let me stop and then I will restart. Hold on. Welcome back. Thank you. Okay. So, (laughs) so, oh, one cute story. I was, uh, but this is not the main story. Uh, I was in one of, like, the, like, the buffet. Mm -hmm. No, I'm sorry. I was in the main dining room. And... Which is huge. It's like three stories. And there was a lady, well, there was a person sitting there dressed up like Medea.
1: Like Tyler Perry's Medea. Yeah.
0: Okay. But you know, there are themed parties every night. And I don't attend the parties and I don't wear costumes. So I usually don't even know what the theme is until I see people mm-hmm. and then I get a general sense. But everyone dresses the same, which is like a jock strap with like a color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like the theme could be. Anything. But. So I see this guy dressed up as Medea. Like full on. Like the wig. Everything. So. And I just keep giggling because they're sitting there kind of being animated and talking to this person. So when I'm done with my meal I get up and then they're also leaving. So we're by the elevator. And I was like oh I really like your costume. That was a lady. And that was not a costume. (laughs) So I felt really stupid.
1: This lady that looks like Medea was on the gay cruise.
0: Oh, not only that, there was a lady on the boat who, and she wasn't an employee. She was like, like she paid to be on, I guess. She had the largest breast I have ever seen, and you know I watched that that shit on YouTube where people like, I don't even know, like Triple Z, like Christina Hendricks, who's that?
1: You don't know who Christina Hendricks is?
0: No, but you know, like, I watched those Vice videos where it's, like, a woman made herself look black or mm-hmm. the world's biggest breast. This lady had breasts that big. Okay. Yeah. That's... But anyway, like back this... Pro- back problem. There was a lady on the boat who looked just like Medea, and I told her her costume was nice, and she was like, this is not a costume. <gasps> and it was clearly a lady when I got up close. Oh, oh. Like, oh, shit. But I didn't... I said it to her... Her, like kind of like walking up to her mm-hmm. but then when I saw her face when she turned around I'm like that is a lady is but, a- but Medea wears like flowy like- she had on a house dress and she had a dusty wig on like Medea, and she had the glasses and everything she even had the little flat shoe like karate shoes and but that lady was not playing <laughs> okay oh also the last cruise this exact cruise two years ago a man died jumping off the boat that's right And then this year, another man died from a heart attack. And we were told that it was just like, he just had a heart attack. It wasn't drug related. But the story I was going to tell was, so Thursday, late, late, late Thursday night, like three in the morning, something wakes me up. Mm -hmm. And I hear tapping like at the door. Mm -hmm. But, you know, on the boat, there are lots of sounds quote the raven never like you can hear just like everything water rushing (laughs) machines moving just depending on where your your room is so i'm like well whatever just the noise woke me up but now i'm awake trying to fall back to sleep and i hear tapping again (laughs) so i get up but i'm not dressed so i just get up and look out the peephole, and there is a man standing there but you know the doors are so close together and he wasn't like in front of my door i could just see that there was a man there so then i'm like well he's I don't know what he's tapping on, but I can hear it. And it wasn't loud, like a knock. It was just like a tap, like someone's taking their finger. So I'm like, okay, well, hopefully someone attends to him, so he'll stop. And he was probably like, he was a white man in like his maybe like late 50s. But then I hear the tapping again. So I'm like, okay, let me get dressed so I can open this door and say like, you know, the fuck are you doing? Because this is it's three in the morning. So I do. And he says, I need a shoulder to talk to. Not a shoulder to cry on, but a shoulder to talk to. And I'm like... <laughs> wait, 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 what did this person look like? <sighs> Who would play him in a movie? He was like an older white man. Like in his 50s. He wasn't like a handsome white man. He looked kind of like dowdy. Like a serial killer. No, he just looked <laughs> like... Yeah, he just looked like... I don't know.
1: It's anyway, okay, so
0: this, this man needs succor. So I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, if I call the care team, which is like Atlantis, not Royal Caribbean, but Atlantis hires a team of like EMTs, paramedics to be on board because there's a lot of drug use on there. And then just people, you know, pass out and whatever. So they're there to help them. And it's supposed to be like, there's no judging. They're not going to call the police. They just want to make sure you're fine. Mm-hmm. So he says, so they're called the care team. He goes, do you think the care, do you, do you think if I call the care team, will they tell me how to pass without jumping overboard? And I'm like. Pass. Like die. Oh, 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 oh. And I'm like, I think we need to call the care team. So They're not the euthanasia team, sir. So to give a little backstory, when I was 21, which was uh, like what, 19 or 2001, I think, I was working at the casino and... One, I was working in VIP services and one night there was an R. Kelly concert. It was R. Kelly featuring Cash Money Millionaires. Mm -hmm. So I was very excited because back then I really did like R. Kelly and I really did like the Cash Money Millionaires like Manny Fresh, Lil Wayne, Juvenile. They were all going to be there. But I know how these things go, especially like urban shows. This shit does not start on time. And I had worked all day. So the show was supposed to start at something like seven o'clock. So I was at home at seven and the drive Mm -hmm. to work Cause I worked at this casino that was having the concert It was only like a 10 minute drive. So I call the box office like at seven 30 asking, is the show starting? And they were like, not even close. So at like eight 15, I decide to leave my house. So it was a sold out show, 7,000 seat theater. We have like an 11 story parking garage, which is full. So I already know just to go right to the roof and the roof is pretty empty. So I get up there, park my car, and I'm wearing my uniform, which is a black suit and tie. So that I don't have to have a ticket. I can just walk into the theater and just be there. And there's a lady there, this black lady, and she's like trying to get my attention. And I, it didn't seem weird to me because I was wearing like a suit. So I'm just, I, I assumed she knew that I worked there. And she was saying something to me like, can you give this to my mom, like my notebook? And I'm like, well, I don't see a notebook. And, like, who's your mom? And I was young, and I didn't understand what the fuck she was talking about. And I'm like, well, where's the notebook? Well, it's in my car. Well, who's your mom? Well, I'm, I'm going to jump. And I'm like, what? And, like, so the, back, so the reason I'm telling the story is because, so this lady's telling me she's going to jump off the 11th story mm-hmm. of this parking garage in the casino I work in. I'm 21. I'm about to finish my uh, degree in psychology, but didn't know anything about anything. As no one does at that age. So when she's telling me this, I'm not thinking like, stop, stop. I'm not thinking grab her. I'm not thinking like, don't do this. I'm just like, okay, well, you know, like if you're going to jump, then jump, I guess. So she does jump. So she jumps. I look over. I can't see that far down. Like, (laughs) I can't even see... Like I, like, I see that there's, like, blood and stuff, but uh, she hit a rail, mm. and it split her in half. <sighs> so um, I immediately call security, and I know the head of security, and I, it's an older black man, and I call him, and I tell him what happened, and he's like, stay where you are. Security comes up and gets me, brings me down to the VIP lounge. My, the director of VIP, my, like, big boss, happened to be working. They put me in her office, and everyone's just like, are you okay? Are you okay? And in my mind, I'm like, I'm not the one who jumped. I'm fine. That's still traumatic. But I, but, but I think what they were trying to explain and what I understand now is that, like, like I just witnessed something. Pretty traumatic. Very <laughs> traumatic. But, so, I think for years, it didn't bother me. And then one day it clicked that, and I think it clicked in Minnesota when I had that friend who called me one night saying that he was going to commit suicide. And then again, I really hadn't thought about like, well, what do you, what do I do if someone tells me that? And thank goodness he said, could you come over? And I said, well, yeah, of course. So I go over there and then I take his ass to the hospital and we sit there all, well, I sit there all night while they talk to him and then they kept him. Mm -hmm. And then, but Like, I sat there for hours until the nurse finally came out and told me, like, he's going to stay. But then it hit me, like, I could have done something for that lady. Well, maybe, maybe not, though. So, fast forwarding to this person, um, I felt, like, literally my heart started racing and I panicked. Like, I was, I didn't have a panic attack. I've never had a panic attack. But my version of that was, like, I just, my heart started racing and I just got confused, like, I don't know what to do. So I said, okay, well, that, like, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I can't even remember what I said. I, I do know that I did call on my phone, like in the room, because they keep telling you, like, call 911 if there's an emergency on the boat. So I called 911 and I said, like, there's someone at my door saying that he wants to kill himself and he might jump off the boat. And then people came very quickly... But I talked to him for a little bit, and then he was, like, nearby in my room. And so for the rest of the cruise, like, the remaining uh, three, t- two nights, um, they had someone... Because um, he had an, an interior room like I did, so there's no window. And they had someone sitting at his door, like, 24-7 for the entire time. Well, yeah, that's a, like... Ooh. But, yeah, that... That was the story I didn't tell you uh, when we talked yesterday. but mm-hmm. So that put a damper on things because well, because well, it just made me think like, I'm not prepared. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared 22 you be, years ago when that lady jumped off the parking garage. I wasn't prepared 15 have... years ago when my friend said he was going to kill himself. No one and said... then I wasn't prepared last week when this man literally knocked on my door and said, I'm going to kill myself.
1: No one's prepared for that <laughs> unless you're trained to do it and you're working. For sure.
0: Like. <laughs> no, for sure. But, it, but, but it, I, like, I think, like, this has happened to me three times now. And it's like, it, it just feels like I don't know what to do. And maybe part of the reason in the back of my head is like, if you're going to do it, then do it. Like, if you've reached a point where it's like, I am really out here. But, but then I also understand, like, this is also maybe a cry for help. And depending on how it's handled, a person could really be redirected. Suicide, And is that's why I feel guilty.
1: Attempts are often a cry for help, but not always. Like, the woman that your first story, I think, was more resolved than <laughs> you, sure. you could. And, you know, in each of those situations you described, you did act accordingly. I well, don't, like I It's not like you, <laughs> you did the next logical thing.
0: Maybe. And, I, you know, I, I can't be responsible for, you know other people's emotions and whatever. And I think if someone asks for help, I feel like we are obligated to help each other. Like that's the human thing to do. I just think, it's almost like I feel like we need to be like, that should be, like, training in school or something. Like, Well, a lot of things should be training in school. Of course, yeah. yes. Like, how, yeah. But like, yes, like, how to deal... The importance of good credit, but...
1: Um, well, the, well, the importance of noti- noticing... Uh, warning like, signs. Warning signs, and, and, yeah.
0: Yeah, because I think... And even with all of my schooling and my work, like, I mean, I've worked in psychiatric wards, and, uh, like, you know, with all of my experience, I still felt like I don't know. Like, I, like I just felt at a loss of on what to do. And then I felt guilty like the, rem- the following days because every time I'd walk to my room, I would see this person, like this security guard sitting in front of this room. And then I thought like, was I not kind enough because I had an attitude? Like it was three in the morning and there's this man tapping on my door. And I don't know if it's because he was trying to get my attention or, you know, like I approached him with an attitude. Mm-hmm. And then to find out that he was just, maybe I was just random. Like he was just tapping on any door hoping someone would come out. So, yeah that's my downer story, but,
1: <laughs> uh, it's interesting, more than it's in the downer, but, also, you know, you could have, by answering the door, uh, prevented him from jumping off, and then you get stranded for a week somewhere, or because <laughs> the last time that happened, you know, they have to stop operations, we, yeah, we couldn't
0: leave the port, but, um, well, but, you know, that's not my, you know, I wouldn't have, someone losing their life, wouldn't have upset me, that like, now my vacations were that's off. not what I mean, I'm no, I don't think it. you do, but, or, I don't think that's what you meant. But. Um, no. Yeah. I, yeah, you're right. Maybe me opening the door helped him in a way, but. Because it, you know,
1: that I think we, we downplay how the ripple effect and how connected we really are with those in the same space as us, you know, it really behooves us to care for one another rather than be ambivalent and ignore, you know, the, like, I, I just don't think people realize that. Um, and I'm not talking about like to avoid inconvenience yourself, stop, Those around you from killing themselves—it's just—I think it, you know, ultimately feels better to have done something helpful.
0: Well, and I, I certainly appreciate being alone, but I think my my solitude is like self inflicted. Like I've always been a loner, like a monk. Yeah. Like I didn't have friends in high school and then in college, I didn't have friends. And then as an adult working, it's like, you know, I was friendly with coworkers, but really that was the extent of it. I was always alone. I've always done things by myself. If I wasn't, you know, I mean, I was very social in the sense of like, I was always out with men, like going on dates or, but other than that, I didn't have, um, a lot of friends. And then the last you know, 14 years being in a relationship is like, well, all my energy has gone to that, which is, you know, it is what it is. But I think, yeah, like to be, to feel alone and also be, hmm, to, to be alone or feel alone. Cause I think I am alone, but I don't feel alone mm-hmm. necessarily. Cause it's just a state that I'm used to. And I don't, Whatever. But then there are people who are like lonely. So to feel alone and then need comfort or need a shoulder to cry on, Mm -hmm. as it were. I can only imagine because I've never actually felt like I need someone to talk to. But I think it's not because I'm like a rock. It's because I'm just so accustomed to not having anyone to talk to. Mm -hmm. that You know. But I don't think that's normal. I think many people um, fail to thrive in those conditions. In solitude. And I think I have thrived Mm -hmm. somehow. I'm like a little dry cactus in the middle. I'm like that one little dry piece of shrubbery in the desert somewhere that just got used to it, I guess. But, and that doesn't make me better. I just, I just think that kind of, piggybacking off what you said about maybe, you know, it would, we would all do better to try to make genuine connections with people and really care about people. Because I feel like a lot of the people I meet, you know, people's intention, it is much easier said than done, but I think oftentimes it's like, oh, well, people want your attention because, you know, they either think you're attractive or, you know, their intention is not to like get to know you as a person. Just because they want something from you. And, you know, that's not very
1: useful when you need... It's not useful, but it can be a starting point. It can be. Because it can, that, that kind of, I think as gay men, I think we all have experienced that. It's hard to make friends that aren't people that were first attracted to you. So I think that sometimes you have to trust that it might evolve into something that's more beneficial. But we can't negate... The need for a starting point, either.
0: No, no, no. And that's a separate conversation. That is. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, that could go on for hours too, but I'm just thinking like really trying to connect with people. And I'm not saying we need to connect with everyone around us, but I think it's important to be available to people. And, you know, I know I live in a bubble.
1: Well, you know, part of being in a bubble, you know, I think we think of that so negatively now, but you also have to live, uh, that's survival too. Like I, I can't let, I can't be permeable to everything that comes in my path. Like there has to be something for me. Well, I agree. I
0: think that's why I'm that way. It's like, it's just that, you know, I often think if I were to have been that guy in my, you know, in college in my early twenties, like being a social butterf- butterfly and investing in all these people, like I wouldn't be where I am today. Right. Because in my mind, I think I would have wasted so much time just trying to like go out drinking. And then as I got older, you know, going partying turns into like happy hour and brunch. And like that's all I do. And then, you know, it, I think I learned around like the time when I met you that, and then this happened to us maybe like six or seven years ago where especially as gay men, like you can make friends, very like, quote, yeah. unquote friends who you spend quite a bit of time with mm-hmm. who you interact with on a very regular basis. And the reality is like that, that relationship is based on very little.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: the fact that we see each other every weekend or we go out twice a week together or whatever doesn't necessarily add up to anything. Right? Mm -hmm. We had friends who we would hang out with almost every weekend for years. Mm -hmm. Like, several years. And ultimately, we stopped because we realized, like, these people don't know us. Yeah. Like, Like, they don't seem interested at all. Like, Like
1: some basic facets of our lives. Basic
0: things, like what we do for work or how we feel about things. And Mm -hmm. it was just more like, they just want, like, witnesses to their experiences, I guess. And then, also, it's like, you can be sexual with someone a number of times, like for a long period of time and then it's like, and many people do that and it's like, you don't know this person. So you let this person have sex with you, you know, once a week for five years and then it's like, you don't even know them. And I'm not judging that, I'm not saying that that's wrong, I'm just saying that many of us engage in these sorts of friendships that don't have a lot of substance and I think that could be really alarming if you reach a critical point right. where you feel like, like if you're in crisis and then you start doing inventory and it's like, well, all of these people who I thought were my friends, they really have no value to me beyond like, that's who I go out drinking with because I'm afraid to go anywhere alone. Or that's the person who, you know, I find inside of me once a week. I find inside of me. And, you know, for pleasure. But oh, like, there you are. Oh, Hey. And then it's over. And so I like, like I think that's what I'm thinking. It's just like we need to maybe think about how we spend our time and who we spend our time with and what we're doing. And if, if we were to reach a critical point, like, who would we feel could get us through that? Like, people don't really know you. Mm-hmm. People don't really know me. And I know they don't know me because the way people react to me is more like... Like, you know, my personality is very different from how... I'm not fake like the way I act is how I am but I think the way people read me is very different from my actual like mindset and demeanor because I'm actually quite morbid and sad (laughs) like that's my real self Uh huh. but I think people think that I'm probably like funny or witty well you're that too though I am but I think you know I don't know that anyone who knows who I am would think that I'm like a fragile person or a sad person. They probably think I'm like grumpy or sassy. <laughs> but it's like, well, I am I am those things too. But mm-hmm. I'm not fragile. Like I'm going to jump off a cliff, you know, a, a drop of a dime. But you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's just hard because no one, very few people know me. So well, then it's like I present myself in an authentic way. But it's like because my connections with people are so... Um, superficial... You're not vulnerable, ever really vulnerable to... I don't get a chance to be vulnerable. Yeah. No one talks to me. Like, no one talks to me. And if they do, it's very fleeting or it's for like a specific thing and and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, so then... Yeah, I, I, I can't be vulnerable with anyone because there's no opportunity. But, well, you know, that's my doing too, right? Well, luckily you're married then. Yeah, I'm not wholly alone, but... But I'm just saying, I'm lucky because I'm not wholly alone and I'm very comfortable being, you know, comfortable in my solitude.
1: Right, right. Which but I think. But for people who aren't. is Yeah, but it's important to be able to be alone with yourself.
0: Well, yeah, if you ask me, I would say 100%. Yeah,
1: but, but yes. But it's but, easy to say. we when, also are social creatures, et cetera, et cetera. And the,
0: but it's I, easy to say when you're okay with being alone, you yeah. know. But there are people who. You know there are things that you and I do that people think like, "How could you do that?"
1: Oh my god! Every time I go out, like, watch I go out alone. Ninety-nine percent of the time, I go out I'm alone, and every every time, I'm I'm grilled by several people about who I'm there with, and when I say
0: I'm alone, it's always like, "Oh my god!" Well, every cruise, every every time I do something like I mean, especially the cruise, like people are so like. Mm-hmm. Like, they can't believe that I would go on this thing alone with no friends on the boat. And it's like, well, A, wouldn't that be an opportunity to make friends? Mm-hmm. But see, it's that attitude that makes me think people aren't willing to... And so getting back to the original thing is like, I think people aren't willing to try to make connections. It's just like they see you and they like what they see, so they start up a conversation. And then they realize that you're really not the format that they... But as gay men, we also use friendships as a qualifier of our worth.
1: Right. Like, like it means something that, look at all these people that love and adore
0: me. And if I'm being a little more egotistical, I think maybe sometimes when people do get to know me slightly, maybe they're just, like, put off because I'm not, I'm not like everyone else. Like, I'm not gonna, you know... You giving me sort of like a passive invitation to do something is not going to... I'm a very busy person. I have a lot to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm very comfortable doing the things I want to do on my own. So you telling me, oh, we should hang out. Well, girl, unless you take action, it's not going to happen. Because mm-hmm. if you think I'm going to reach out, and again, that's my problem. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, I don't like that. I don't want a secondhand invitation to do something.
1: Uh, same. yeah. Right? Same. Yeah. If you
0: want me to go to your house, you need to ask me directly. Yeah. You need to... Because I'm not... Because I'm kind of a big deal. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. A bitch like me is not just like sitting around hoping someone calls me. Like, you need to give me a proper invitation. And yes. it needs to be enticing. And it needs like, to be
1: in advance because I'm busy.
0: Well, I'm not saying that I won't do something spontaneous, but I'm just saying no, like... No, but you know. I'm not a regular, like... I'm, I shouldn't say that. I just think some people seem like they're just waiting around hoping because they're so afraid to not have a social calendar. Mm-hmm. And someone like me is like, I cherish, there are very few moments when I can be alone and feel like it's okay to do nothing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It is, I'm never bored. So I'm not just sitting around thinking like, oh, will anyone just sort of casually invite me to do anything and then I'll do the heavy lifting. You will be sorely disappointed approaching me that way. Like, ask me directly and, and come with something interesting. Because I can have fun on my own. Like, I don't need. I can do bad all by myself. I can yeah. do bad all by myself. I don't need to, yeah. I don't need to go sit at some sad bar and stare at you and, your, and, and experience your poor conversation skills. Right? Oh my God. Yeah. I have a personality. Mm-hmm. Well, I can have a conversation. So, unless, especially
1: because at any random time at that bar, there will be other people that would gladly talk to me as well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm an interesting person. You are very interesting, yes. As are you, you know what I mean? Like, it's like you're not just gonna get us to. You, you gotta do a little bit more than just say we should do something together. Mm-hmm.
1: That's like, what's that Patrice O'Neill bit about uh, white women? You can catch, you can them, can catch them with nuts, them with a, nuts and
0: berries. That's nuts and berries. We are not nuts and berries, people. Oh, I'm not a nuts and berries kind of gal. Like, yeah, I need a little bit more, <laughs> but. <laughs> okay, somehow we got cut off, but that's fine because I was talking crazy anyway. Or <laughs> something about the flip side. But... Oh, the flip side is I am not... I'm also not out here finding people who I think are interesting and saying like, hey, let's do this thing on this day. I would love to like, talk about whatever. But, you know, again, I'm used to being alone. I'm very busy. I enjoy my alone time because I have so little of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it it's a conundrum. Yes. But... All to say that it's a very Sisyphean conundrum, isn't it? It was just getting back to the (laughs) boat, like it was, it it put a damper on it because I just felt bad. And then I kept thinking, like, what must this man be going through that he spent, you know, his little whatever, two, three thousand dollars to get on this boat to just be so sad that he would knock on a random door to say, you know, that that made me sad. Yeah, of course. Because if I were ever in that spot, I think it would just be a really dark, dark, dark place. Yeah, it's a bad place to be. So I hope that man who I don't, you know, obviously... Sorry to this man. Well, I just hope he feels better about things and, you know. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, ironically, for someone who's been approached by this three times, I'm probably not the best person. Because as you know, like, I'm I'm not against suicide. I feel like... (laughs) You know, because I think like... What, what, our... what, you're like, what's that man on the boat uh,
1: in, H- in Hades? Chiron. Oh, <laughs> Let me guide
0: you. <laughs> well, because I, you, know, you know how I feel. It's like, I've, I think death is just like before we were born. It's nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you won't know if you're dead or alive. Like, to me, it doesn't matter when you die because you won't know the difference. And ultimately, as time passes, no one will know we existed anyway. I mean, un- un- unless you're a historical figure or a celebrity... And even those people's, like, memory of these people fade away as well. But for those of us who are just regular...
1: So the topic of this podcast was suicidal um, escorts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You've been groomed. (laughs) I'm not saying that, you know, if you have the thought to kill yourself, you should do it. But I think, like, some people get to a place where they feel like there's... I'm not going to say it gets better. I'm not going to say if you have this awful life where you're being abused or you're experiencing this pain or whatever that oh somehow you like things are going to turn around for you.
1: No, and I, I, context is different for everybody and what, what kind of privilege you have. But you know, I, I'd also you know gently, I'd also urge you know do not go gently into this dark night either. I just like, wanna, don't just like like make an effort. Right.
0: <laughs> yes, of course. But I just want to send out an open letter. Like, don't you know. I'm not the best person to talk to about suicide cuz if you have a conversation with me about it and this is something that you feel strong about I'm going to say you do what you need to do. <laughs> so, well. So if you're trying to if it's a cry for help, you are probably not going to get a lot of help from me. No. Like I can, I can second that. Yeah, uh, you're <laughs> like unless you tell me call 911, I'm just going to be like, "Well," because I pink- mean, I'm not going to hand you the knife, but I'm also not going to put a bloody car a bloody body in my car so I don't <laughs> <laughs>
1: Like people who knew me before I knew you, you know, I was kind of a more of a on the morbid, depressive side, and right away I think I learned like we're just gonna sink to the bottom unless I kind of make an effort to be more
0: positive. Uh. Yes, I am not a positive person. So anyway, this podcast is really long. Yep, sure is. Do you have a quote to close us out with?
1: I don't. I was just trying to give you the floor.
0: Oh, look at that. Um, And then for the rest of the week, you just are doing Sundance stuff. Uh,
1: Sundance bleeds directly into Rotterdam, which almost more or less bleeds directly into Berlin.
0: So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then I'm very busy as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. That's all I have. For now. Toodaloo. (laughs)